Some things that we talk about on this are things that I'm really bad at other than color theory, right? And matching, you know, greens and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a new a music artist that I thoroughly am enjoying. I have no idea what kind of music it is, but it's called Witch Z. So it's witch and then like witches, but it's just witch. Is that a Z. genre of music? No, it's like an artist. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so when you saying witches, I was like, oh, witches with like a Z at the end. And then you're now you're making it weird. Then um, like, it was weird. Like every time I'd pull it up and I try to like play it in like my history, or whatever, it always gives me like this weird, like anime punk stuff afterwards. And I'm like, no, this is, this is not the vibe of this music whatsoever. Oh, um, I think I found it. Let me post it. it in. It's just witch with a Z. Yeah. This I put it. On yeah. The yeah. Whatever this is. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of like I was like, "All right, this is uh, I'm vibing with it lately." You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, Adrian, uh, what is what is your music of choice, my guy? Uh, it honestly, it depends. Like I've gone through a bunch of different uh, genres throughout the years, but lately uh, I've kind of been circulating between two or three. One is still like my high school throwbacks, like emo, pop punk stuff, like that. A uh, huge like say anything fan and a bunch of bands around that kind of genre. So I'm always like looking for stuff like that, even if it's like newish music that kind of has that like um, kind of old school like semi emo, semi pop punk vibe. Okay. Uh, number two, I've really been liking like the the '80s throwback kind of stuff as well, like a lot of synth wave, and it's kind of like it's yeah, a little yeah. goofy, but it's also a little like hard and like kind of pumps you up. And then I don't know, I, I like it. I just like it <laughs> a lot. Like those are the two that I kind of find myself circulating back and forth between. And then like just general, like indie and R and B and like a bunch of other stuff. But, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of music is like a huge, huge part of, of what I do in my life every day. So I'm like all into, I just, I'm just love discovering new stuff and, and uh, constantly listening to music. Well, when you, when you listen to this artist, you're going to have to tell me what kind of music this is because i have i have no idea yeah i would hope that i'd be able to tell you yeah yeah <laughs> Who knows? yeah maybe it's like alternative something definitely definitely <laughs> not alternative i i like glanced glanced it's with not my alternative? ears i mean like alternative is such a big hat that alternative is just the kind of like the the way to have kind of more what is how does someone explain it to me so well like things that are designed to have more meaning and that was at the time when it was around in the 90s and 2000s to call it alternative you probably still could call the things like that alternative today, but usually it's alternative plus something else. Alternative mm. rock, alternative this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's, okay. it's one of those things. So um, it's interesting. I'll tell you that. It is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if anyone else has an idea of it, you know, get on our discord and, and let us know what this, what this artist's music is considered because I don't know I'm, I'm a vibe of, I'm vibing with it. Oh yeah. I, d- I definitely got to check it out. Uh, G um what are you what are you listening to uh these days let me go pull up my top all right uh i use apple music because i've had the discounts for college for years and uh, okay. nice then i never switched it and um i, st- I don't get the discount now because i'm not in college anymore but <laughs> yeah you know that was i still have it rookie mistake uh yeah you know it's what it is and uh, let's see so the most i was listening to an elton john song called love song because I just watched the movie Men again, and they use that song in it, and it's a pretty good song. Uh, I've been listening to Kiltro for all that's um, these like 
Spaniards, I believe. Spaniards? I want to say the Spaniard. Can't 100% remember. And I was listening to Invent Animate for anyone who's into the metalcore scene. And then I have some soundtrack music. So, the, oh, yep, there it is, men. The original motion picture soundtrack is on the top right here. Nice. Um, see, see, I, I trust Giacomo telling me what kind of music things are because you just named off like four genres that I just, I, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking so, about. Sounds like he knows, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. I yeah. trust him implicitly. Yeah. I feel like Adrian's a man who'd have like Carpenter Brute and then turnstiles <laughs> on his iPod or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I watched your your the video from Just Another Kill Team podcast and um, can you can you roll a crits podcast yeah. that are not podcast but videos that yeah. you were a part of? It was cool being able to see behind the scenes and seeing how you were feeling and thinking after each day. Yeah, you know that was yeah that was a lot of fun. It was cool. I I um I actually have I recorded a ton of additional video that I'm going to be putting together like a little vlog uh, that's going to be on Goonhammer within the next couple weeks. Um, I literally, the, the day I got back from LVO, I went right to bed and the next morning I got up and got another flight to Florida for work. So I've just like gotten back now uh, and I'm like sorting through all the, uh, the wreckage of the past two weeks that I have not been able to attend to. But yeah, I, the, that was really cool to be able to record with those guys. Uh, we all kind of hung out the whole weekend and uh, it was pretty cool to be like alongside like, two pretty big, you know, like, or like very big podcasters and YouTubers uh, in the kill team scene and just mm-hmm. sort of like give everybody that like honest, like, Hey, we're just like hanging out in the hotel room. This is like how we're thinking about what happened today. Like, and, and it's also kind of cool to look back at it retrospectively now knowing what the results were. Cause I was still very much like unsure the whole weekend, like what the results would be. And then to actually end up winning the whole thing and, and placing number one in ITC, like, that it's just like it's so cool to like have have recorded us like in the past not knowing not knowing what the future held um but yeah in in addition to that i'll I'll have a more comprehensive like vlog of my experiences um coming soon on goonhammer so definitely keep keep your eyes peeled for that yeah and what's interesting about your win path to win the whole thing was that there's only one person that i actively don't recognize um that you played against Mm mm-hmm Who's and all of them are killers. Like mm. everyone that you played yeah. uh, this weekend or this past this past weekend, uh, absolute monsters. So you played Jonathan Marquis, um, Marquis. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jonathan. Uh, he played. He's playing Geller Pox, and you yep. played Jason Stanecki, mm-hmm. which um, he was the winner of SoCal Open, and I think you guys probably met at Worlds, right? Yeah, we did. Won. We met for the first time at Worlds. Yeah, Team mm-hmm. Team USA. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Ooh. Yes, he is. And then you have Brett Bouchard from Six Eyed Legion, also another YouTuber. Yep. Uh, who's a, you know, we'll, we'll get to the stats later on in this episode, but uh, he definitely overperformed on um, Hand of the Archon, which, yeah. which we'll, we'll, we'll give him, I'm going to give him his dues, but we'll, yes. we'll talk about it later. Then we have Vivek, who got second. Yeah. Mm. played him, what, four, round four? I played him, yeah, round, round one of day two. So that'd be round four. Yeah. Yeah. Then you had Dustin. Uh, Delessi, uh, uh, that's yeah, from, the one from Warpfire. Oh, okay, that's probably why I don't recognize him. Yeah, yeah, he was a really, really cool dude, really nice dude. I had a, had a had a lot of fun talking to him and, and playing with him. But he's he's with the Warpfire crew. Yeah, he also had a really good record at that time of the tournament as well. Yes. Yeah, and then and then you ended up playing John Reese, Candy Roll a Crit. Yep, for the first time ever, actually. Oh, amazing! Amazing. Yeah. He's a he's a pleasure to play against. Mm-hmm. Absolute pleasure. 
I played him first at Nova and I graciously lost to him. Um, gracious. Yeah, really, ni- really nice guy. Really nice guy. And I'm glad we've kind of like <clears throat> been dancing around each other, all these tournaments we've been at recently. Yeah. <clears throat> so it was good to finally play him. And then you ended up playing Orion and you've played Orion quite a lot. That guy's a monster. <laughs> yeah. You know, I went from last year, you know, having met him for the first time at last year's LVO, I didn't, I had never played him and he won the whole thing. And, um, Lately, we've played each other a good deal. We played each other one, for, for the first time at the Salt City GT. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we played each other um, two times at Worlds. And then we played each other the weekend before LVO at, uh, at a tournament uh, in the Baltimore area. So mm-hmm. I think, I guess that makes, we played each other maybe four or five times. But every time we've played each other, the game's always been like, literally like a one or two point margin. Like it's, it's always an incredibly, incredibly tight game with him. And just like the absolute example of like, just like every decision matters and every single point you can score or deny matters. Like, and Mm -hmm. and I've I've never played closer games than I have with him. In my opinion, uh, sorry to everyone else in the United States, but you two are probably the best players in the U S so it does not surprise me that you guys (laughs) play so closely all the time. Yeah. They were Uh, were good games. Yeah. And then we have, uh, Kellen Foster, right? Yep. Uh, who's also, he won the West Coast Championship, so another killer um, with Novitiates. And then you played Chris Bakke, who was playing Vet Garden, was yep. looked to be unstoppable until you I stopped know. him, you know? Yeah. No, that that was interesting, too. And then the whole talk about, like, the wind path and, like, the, the drama in the tournament. Like, the last round of the tournament after, you know, after eight rounds of play in the ninth round, you know, you have me and Chris – who like anything could have happened? Vivek, Orion, Chris, or I could have won the entire thing. Yeah, it was crazy. Because if Vivek had won and Chris had beat me, then it would have come down to like you know. Actually, I think Chris would have just won because he would only had the one loss the whole time. Yep. For, if Orion had won, he would have won the whole thing because he only had the one tie the whole time. But I beat Chris, Vivek beat Orion, and then it came down to tiebreakers between Vivek and myself. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, it literally came down to two victory points like period over the course of the whole tournament i think it was like 192 to 190 and like that's where it just gets crazy because like there were games where i you know could have scored one or two more points here and i made a mistake um but there are also games where i i performed above average and i got one extra point or i just went a little bit harder and i got one extra point here and that was literally turned out to be the whole difference in the entire tournament between first and second and i don't know if we're jumping ahead of ourselves in terms of the itc stuff but it it turned out to really matter because we we had theorized going into this that you know second place might have been good enough in terms of the ITC points, but actually it, it turned out that it wasn't the case, and I needed to get first to be able to mm-hmm. overtake Ace, which is crazy. Yeah, what's crazy is like how many people actually dropped from the event because we had mm. one sixty four right, and only one thirty one showed. Right, right. And one person had to leave early because they caught COVID. So be- before the first round even has started, right? Yeah. Or they didn't catch COVID. They they were informed that someone close to them caught it. So they had to That's leave. That's fair, early. yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even but still, it, big, biggest kill team event in the world to date, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, which is a testament to everyone who flew and spent their hard-earned money to come out and play together and make it the biggest one. So thank you to the entire community who did so. Hell yeah. So... Um, there's there since we since we last had you on, which was over Nova and uh, you know having a stellar run there. Um, only uh, you you only had one loss at that tournament, which was amazing. Uh, you crushed everyone. Uh, the 
the commandos have seen unstoppable. They even got a nerf, right? Yeah, they um, did. They did. Yeah. So, uh, how has that nerf af- affected uh, your commando style of play? And um, did you think that the terrain was overly helpful for commandos, or did you think it was um, just commandos over overall strength? I think uh, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, I mean, into the dark is into the dark. So as far as the the nerfs have gone, the most recent nerf basically being to the forward deploy, you can only do it once, and they can't flip their order. So it hasn't really changed into the dark at all, except for the fact that the bomb squig cannot get the extra APL, which does actually make it a little bit harder to have the bomb squig, you know, completely safe behind a door and also be able to cover the whole room. So the bomb squig has become for me much more of like an activation gaming piece Mm -hmm. and then like a backline defender. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not the kind of player that likes to just sort of initiative gamble and throw them out in the open because I've just lost that before and then you just lose an operative for no reason. So I tend to have them project a threat range and have my opponents have to respect that, which also means they have to space out. So that gives me more opportunity to come in and pick individual operatives off. So I would say overall into the dark, commandos haven't changed much. And okay. they, they've only gotten better with all the additions into the dark because it used to be that, you know, you couldn't sneak, you had to sneaky get before you did, or sorry, after you did the shush ploy, right, at the mm-hmm. beginning of the first turn. So as it stands now, one operative on their team can basically get nine inches up the board and or open a door. And another operative, if you wanted to pair it with a recon dash, could go six inches up the board. So in Into the Dark, they're extremely mobile and still very good. Mm-hmm. Um and they kind of can pick and choose when they get shot because there's no vantage. There's no nothing. You can just be hidden the whole time on open. They, they have smoke grenades too. If they, you, if they do have smoke grenades. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've never, I've never really used the smoke grenades. Um, I heard like, yeah. before Kasserkin, apparently the play was to take smoke grenades into Kasserkin and then you could open a door and like throw a grenade down and they, Kasserkin were just like, ah, uh, right. what? Yeah, exactly. and then and you, you could just a bunch of orcs down there. Yeah, yeah, and then then you just kill everything. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It's not a bad idea. Like I, I know I've heard some people. I think over in Spain do it a bit more. I'm kind of like a chopper guy myself. Okay. Um, like some matchups, depending on some teams, I would literally just run all choppers and like not just leave the dynamite at home, depending on the matchup. Uh, I just like the reliability of the four dice and the th- and the threat that it projects constantly. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but the smoke grenades are cool. There is specific tech that I learned. Specifically against like Star Striders or Vet Guard who don't have the anti-obscuring and it's and on Into the Dark, you know, putting it like on your knob, for example. So against Star Striders, if you put the smoke grenade on your knob and you basically have the knob be completely safe behind a door that's at the midline to start the turn, you're going to out-activate them. So you basically threaten an objective, say it's like capture or secure or something, especially if it's secure. You know, if you give the knob an APL, open the door, charge somebody and secure the point at the last activation, you can be safe in combat. You can flip the point and, you know, it just makes them have to spread out. And then if you put two operatives down on that point, the knob just opens the door, charges and kills one guy. And then he's still safe in combat with the other one. And then the next turn, you just kill that guy and then bounce to another already activated operative and just like bounce around in their back lines. They can't do anything about it. And, you know, on turn two or turn three, that's when you drop the smoke and then it delays it another turn. So like you have the knob the whole game, just like pinballing around Star Strider's back lines while the rest of your 10 operatives just like do whatever they want. So there is there is some play there, I think, specifically with the knob. I have started to do that in certain matchups. That's kind of the tech. But as far as like, because three EP is just such a big investment and it really messes with your other choices, especially into the dark because you 
climbing ropes don't do anything. Um, so I've, I've always been a fan until, until the open terrain changes. So now switching to open, cause that was the initial question, right? How do they feel on open now until the open terrain and the metagame changes to be a bit more, you know, light friendly or a bit less heavy. I don't really see the need to use smokes that much because there's just so much heavy to hide behind. And I would just rather be completely safe than, than, you know, lose the initiative and guarantee lose one of the two works that's in the open, sure. you know, gambling on the initiative. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so to get back to the original question, how do they feel on open? I think they definitely feel uh, like, I wouldn't say they feel worse on open, like then into the dark, they just feel worse comparatively. Cause they used to be like just absolutely broken, not broken, but like three, four deploys against certain teams. It's just like, if you mess up, like it's just game over immediately. So there were very few teams I could deal with that kind of pressure right away. So it feels a bit like the one four deploy you do now feels much more meaningful. You have to be very particular about it. There's really no room for error in terms of positioning or the operative you choose or what you do with that operative because it's just, you know, it's still a CP that you need, but he doesn't have any support anymore. He's really by himself. So you can no longer back him up with a friend or two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the rest of the team has to sort of foot slog it up the board, you know, just like everybody else, but it just, it feels like a bit slower. So I think on open they're, they're feeling more fair to play against for me. Um, you know, but I still think that they still just stat check so many teams like elves and novitiates and star striders have such a tough time into them. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so over, overall, I think they still feel very good. Uh, and very playable. If they were to get hit with one more nerf, I think GW might want to look at either manipulating just a scratch somehow to make it either, you know, only work on normals or only work once every other turn or cost one plus one CP every time or or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the value you can get from it, like a lot of times at the end of a turn, if I'm looking at like, do I do a combat or not and risk killing or getting killed? I'm like, do I have a CP for just a scratch? Have I burned it yet? Because like you can add, you know, four to eight to 12 wounds to an orc over the course of a game. Oh, yeah. It's like as soon as soon as if your orcs left on two wounds at the end of a turn, as soon as that clock resets and as soon as you go to the next turn, that orc all of a sudden has like six to eight wounds, depending on what damage they do. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. they can't just fight you anymore because you have that active. It's such a powerful tool and it's such a mind game for your opponent the longer you keep it active. Hmm. Um, the other thing that you could look at is the 11th activation. I think that the 11th activation just, it, it, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it really, really, really allows them to wait just that little bit longer. So against nine activation teams or 10 activation teams, they have one, two, or three more activations at the end of the turn guaranteed. And that's like a lot, you know, that's enough for a rocket boy yeah. and a DACA boy or not, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just, a, it's a lot to deal with. So at the high level of play where every single activation is really like thought out and calculated and meticulous, having the final activation now that everybody's got so much better at this game in our community as a whole means so much, it means so much, which is why elites I think are having such a tough time these days. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, you pretty much hit on the both the exact same thoughts that I had for uh, the nerfs for the team. So one was probably do something with just a scratch, right? Like I would love to see just a scratch on every single team that has one go to not being able to hit, like stop crits. So like right. the rosary from vet guard or the. Um, the blooded one where you can like pay something to have someone jump in front of a shot or, 
with the same thing with cultists, like you just can't stop crits, right? right? Like right. I think that that would be a good change for the game. Mm-hmm. But I think that what Games Workshop likes to do is just fix a singular thing for each right. team. We saw right. that with Sneaky Git. Right. Unfortunately, um, there are two other teams out there who can still Sneaky Git three times. Uh, because they didn't change the core rule itself, right? And those are two compendium teams. And uh, we did see a lot of compendium do really well this Mm -hmm. event. So, you know, maybe maybe we're going to start to see some some compendium coming back. But that's besides the point. So the other one was I would love to see for commandos just to have minus one body. I don't care where it's from. If it's a boy, the normal boy, or you could take away the the grot or the, the guy. I think that one of those two, if not, I think one of those two would probably fix the team. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, if you were to do both, then I think they probably drop down pretty far. And then it's agree. actually, I don't think they're at the top tier anymore if you do both. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And which, which I'm, you know, maybe people would be happy to, to have because, you know, it's, they might, I, I don't think they're as bad as Pathfinders used to be, but they might have that Pathfinder effect where people just really hate drop them. <laughs> yeah, seeing, drop seeing them at the table. Uh, you know, although they are like such a fun and flavorful team, I really, I really do enjoy the whole, you know, yeah design concept behind it but that's besides the point yeah i, th- I think they definitely probably need a- another little touch um but th- those are the two areas that i think would probably be the most uh you know th- the most problematic areas are those two i think yeah so for me um i don't know how about g ask g the same question for me um whenever i see an orc commandos player i always feel like i can win even if maybe i can't right, right. i always feel that i can win because like they're not as oppressive as pathfinders used to be. Right. right. And I think that, um, that could change because I think games workshop has had a really hard time, um, balancing melee teams ever since Felgor came out. Right. Mm-hmm. So ever since last may, we have been in this, the summer of melee, mm-hmm. right. Ever since. And it's been now commandos, some people argue that they're also a shooty team and not just a, a me- I think they're a very balanced team. Yeah, they're they still, are, yeah. Yeah. they're still very melee forward because they're like they Mario can- and super smash brothers. Just <laughs> yeah, okay. jack, jack of all trades. That's you know? a good one. Exactly. Yeah. But like, I mean, we're going to get to cultists and Felgor here soon, but yeah. um, there are like those teams still really are dominating. And it's interesting to see that commandos and vet guard, are like vet guard haven't been touched at all, which is baffling to me. Yeah, um, that's gotta. That's yeah, that demo man. <laughs> I, I play them and they need to be nerfed. Being like, on the receiving to, end, like it's not. Yeah, I, I've played them so many times now, and I'm just like, not again, man. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> it is I not live in constant fear of like four different things. Like it's it's, it's pretty. It's where's the spotter? Where's yeah, the demo man? <laughs> I, yeah, literally, literally. Did you take all the gutters? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Your leader like ignores this and also has a feel no pain. Like, it's just like, it's like, it's a lot. Some, sometimes these guardsmen just don't die. Yeah. 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 It's, it's stupid. Um, but like, yeah, it's pre- pretty interesting. Now, Giacomo, whenever you're playing against Orc Commandos, do you still have that same feeling when, whenever you fight a Pathfinder player or, or are they just like... How do you feel when you play against commandos versus pathfinders? Same way, overconfident. Not sure if I'm going to win, but going like I probably could do it. And then like I go, I ain't posting that shit. I got my ass whooped, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, generally, generally, I have a pretty good time against commando players, uh, whether they're whether they're very good or they're just learning the game because they bought the starter set. Mm-hmm. And uh, the team, 
like I can, I can kill an orc and then they can kill one of my guys. So it's one of those teams, like we mentioned was balanced. It never feels one sided for either. Right. Uh, unless of course you're a really good player, then you absolutely know how to do it. And I think orcs are still the team to do that. That can still take it. And well, we saw here at LVO. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Th- Cause they are, they are like so, so, so durable, deceptively. So, cause they can retain saves no matter what. Uh, they can do just a scratch. Um, you know, like if you make any of your five ups, if you spike, then like you, you get lucky and then they just, they just don't die in addition. So like, it feels good when you make your five ups. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, and then, and, and in the hands of a good player, I think, you know, when you play super cagey and super conservative and just don't give anything out, you know, make your opponent work for every point of damage. They have to work really hard just to be able to shoot or fight an orc, and then when they do, then they start from full health, and then the durability kicks in. So that's where I think it becomes problematic. But if you have potentially newer or more inexperienced players, just kind of throwing them out there and hoping their stats hold, they will fold very fast to sustain fire because the mm-hmm. fire cannot hold forever. No. Um, so if you play the terrain really well, and if you play on boards that have a lot of heavy, the orcs can just be guaranteed safe until they are ready to strike out, and then you're getting hit in the face with a full health orc who's 10 to 16 wounds potentially with just a scratch active, which is just like so much to chew through and jumping rope, uh, not jumping ropes, just climbing, climbing ropes really yeah, helps get them get around the place too. Exactly. So just like, Oh, it's another trick they have that you don't think about that orcs would have, you know? And the grot too. I, I, yeah, got, a, grot. I got, a, I got a few people with the grot this weekend and, and I even, I thought I telegraphed it, you know, giving him a third APL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but I got, um, I got Orion on the first turning point. Which I think, thinking back through it, we can talk about that match in a second, but it might have been, a, I jumped the gun maybe a little bit too soon there. But I also, it was the only reason I tied my game with Vivek, was to have my Grot slingshot all the way down the hallway of an Into the Dark board, dash around the corner, and then loot, I think it was loot we were playing, loot an objective that only one guardsman was standing on that he just had no idea I could get to. So the Grot is like a, is, is a game changer. For sure. Yeah, I think I was talking to Vivek at some point in time, and I think he told me that exact story. We're going to get him on the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, him, him, and 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 George. Awesome. But um, yeah, dude, you're you fucking crushed it, bro. And I just have to say, <laughs> congratulations, man. Thank you, you man. Genuinely, genuinely, like biggest tournament ever. Uh, objectively, you are a one hundred percent the best player in the world. Um, and uh fucking fantastic to see it's kind of it's super honestly it's like super surreal it's like it's really really surreal because like a a year ago this time like i was playing intercession and doing decently well but like i'd like i don't know i just like how far i've been able to come in a year it's just like it's just snuck up on me i don't know it's it's been pretty crazy like my goal for this year just was just to like qualify and attend the world championships i had no like hopes or dreams of like winning all these tournaments or like being number one in the world. Like I didn't even think it was possible because Spain has so many tournaments that are happening all the time that are just of such a, a huge level. But like, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's still like, I still can't even believe it to be honest. Like it's pretty, pretty surreal. And it just feels like very real when you, when I hear you say that, but, but genuinely thank you. But I mean, it's also true. Like there's, there's, there's no, there's no lying about it. Number one, ITC won the biggest tournament in the world. Went to Worlds, played super well. You've played clean. Uh, you played the time the entire the entire tournament. Like there's, there you had no complaints about sportsmanship. Your models are always beautifully painted for both years. Thank you. We have hobby chats behind the scenes. You and me, yeah. like seriously, bro. Like good shit. 
You're Thank chilling, you, man. man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So uh, let's go over some of your 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 matches before yeah. we before we move move to uh, some other topics about 100%. LVO. Um, you played Jonathan Marquis first, uh-huh. uh huh, with his beautifully painted, yeah, uh, Beetlejuice, yeah, Beetlejuice, yeah. yeah, yeah. How how did that go? That was cool. Uh, you know, I, well, I just come. I was every time I play Gellerpox, I just have flashbacks to my games with Orion. Me too. Me too. Immediately traumatized. You know, yeah, <laughs> so I'm yeah. just like. So I'm like, all right, like, because it's funny, like, there's there are so many teams in the game right now that I go through phases where, you know, cults or Felgor or whatever are like the hot team, and I'm like getting my reps in. I'm like, I know everything these guys do, but I hadn't played Galapox in a minute because nobody on the East Coast really plays them. So I was like, oh man, like of all the teams, like this is my first matchup. I think he was like the only Gellerpox guy in the whole field, maybe of two. So I was like, all right, like let me review these rules. Let's try not to get got again. I know the tentacle guy like keeps you in combat, blah, blah, blah. So I just was like kind of channeling, you know, what I had learned in my games against Orion. And I think I played super pretty cagey. I think we were, what did we start on? Did we start on capture? I think we started on capture the first day. I believe so. Um, yeah, and I'm pulling up. I'm pulling up my. Uh, I think it was uh, capture secure, secure loot. loot, and then the next day was loot. Right. loot capture secure. That's, that sounds about right to me. Yeah. So it ended ended up. I think. Um, so I had actually pretty good dice this game, and my the, the the breakout story, the news story from this whole game was that my slasher boy single handedly, like by himself, held up one nightmare Hulk for two turns. Just a scratch. Uh, just a scratch, but just just also like just dice, like good dice. Wow. His dice were not good. So my slasher boy is rolling all hits and all crits, and his mutants are rolling like maybe two hits. And he's just like and then a second guy charges in. It might have been Volgar, I don't know, but he's like there fighting two nightmare hulks and he survives the entire game. Wow. Until turn four when I, I decide to suicide him so I can open up, you know, these guys to get shot. But like he literally held the line against two 18 wound mutants for like three turns, which was insane and and reminded me like why I play this game. It's like one of these cinematic moments that like only kill team can provide, you know, mm-hmm. really, really cool stuff. I just like was picturing it in my head, you know, <laughs> guys just uh, sitting there just wawing his brains out. Yeah, you know? literally got a knife in each hand, a knife <laughs> in his mouth and he's just going crazy. Like, you know, <laughs> these mutants are just like missing him with the big meat cleaver. Um, so that was cool. Um, but I also just, I also was able to get a a few pretty big blasts off and the blasts landed, you know, sometimes your bomb squig jumps into a few dudes and rolls like one hit on each and they make saves and they're like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. But this time it was like all four landed and then he didn't make his feel no pains. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden these mutants went from like full health to two health. And he was like, oh, well that, that did not go well. <laughs> so the shooting really tipped the uh, game in my favor, I think. And then also the slasher boy holding his two mutants up for longer than I think he expected was big. Um, and then just positional play and playing the mission. And then it, it kind of snowballed from there. But he, he was a really nice guy, really good to play with. Um, and it is always cool playing against Gellerpox because they're such a weird, cool team. Um, and like, just like, like a big combination of like little flies and huge dudes. And, and it is a cool thing to see on the tabletop. Absolutely. But yeah, that was, that was a good one. And then, and then you ended up playing Jason. Um, uh, yes. On stream. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did, how did that go? And you uh, guys can, you guys will be able to watch that on YouTube later this week, hopefully. 
Yeah, I, I actually would love to watch that game back when I have some time, just because it's always cool to see like how the game actually played out rather than like how you remember it playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was a good game. Um, it was cool. Again, finally, it was really cool this tournament to travel all this way and actually play pretty much all new players. The only players I had repeated were Chris Bakke and Ryan. I think everybody else is brand new. So seven out of nine games were brand new, which is always just great to be able to play brand new players. It's really, really mm-hmm. cool. Um, so that game he played, he took inquisitorial agents, uh, and we were on open and it was long, long deployments. So like the, uh, you know what I mean? Like the three inch deployments on, on the long sides of the board. And he chose to take exaction squad as his, uh, support option, which I was like, okay. I mean, I, I know in theory, people are talking about an exaction squad being able to handle orcs, but I don't know if the support option is does enough there. So I personally thought that maybe he would have been better off taking vet guard or breachers just the tried and true scary stuff, you know, demo mine, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, again, I just played, played it super cagey, really tight. Um, and then he set up for a um, charge, I think at the top of, I think it was the top of turn two where he had his um, it's, it's the sister of battle with the double handed chain sword. It's like, I forget what she's called. Um, but you know, she, yeah, uh, no, no, no. But but on this team, she has a different name. She's the one oh, who strikes you on yeah. death on the way down and mm-hmm. has a feel no pain. I think so. Like yeah. pretty can hold her own in melee, and he ended up basically winning the initiative, giving her like balanced. I think because she charged, and I think she gets balanced, and also gave her target quarry. And I felt so bad, but he literally rolled, walked in there, rolled. You know, she had combat support too. I think so. She was hitting on threes, and so she rolled four ones and twos. And then he rerolled two of the dice because of the double balanced and rolled into another one and another two. So like she comes in with six dice and whiffs everything. And then my, my boy just proceeds to just like chop her to pieces. So that, that was a really big, like uh, immediate, like initiative kill. Um, And I think it kind of just like took him out of his game a little bit because he Mm -hmm. was not expecting that at all. And he was kind of counting on it. Um, and I was counting on it too. I was counting on the boy either dying or living with very few wounds. Um, either way, I, from my perspective, where I sat on the table, I don't think it would have impacted the state of the game at all because I had so many orcs just ready to jump onto her after that to finish her off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly did put him uh, on the back foot, like literally immediately. So the rest of the game was him just trying to catch up from there because I took no damage and then I got to go and make another strong move. So all of a sudden we're two moves into, you know, the second turn of the game and I've won both those moves very decisively. And he's like lost big on both those moves. So that kind of set the tone for the rest of it. And he was kind of playing catch up from there on out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the shield guys in the exaction squad didn't, didn't really do anything. They kind of just, you know, they made it so I could never kind of fight them because if, if you fight them, you just lose. So all I did instead was just like charge in and like bear hug and, you know, like we're just going to hang out and be friends and nobody's going to die, but nobody's going to do, you know, we're just going to stand here together and do nothing. Uh, and if I need to do something, I'll just charge you with a second operative and then do the mission action that way. So that's kind of how I played that um, and just avoided the big threats. I didn't let him get, you know, the plasma cannon blast off or, or, or the, uh, the death world vet didn't do too much. Um, and the thing with Inquisition is I feel that like, you know, they, they mostly hit on fours and if their quarry fails them, you know, like I, as soon as my quarry, that quarry lived, I either got him to safety. So he's just, you know, screwed from his balance for the rest of the turn, uh, his balanced rerolls. 
like they can be a little swingy. They, they only really have two ways to manipulate dice. And one is the, the quarry and one is the mystic. So um, at a certain point during the tournament, Inquisition's dice will just fail you. Although hopefully not as spectacularly as that sister, because that just was, that was just hard. That was just tough to watch. I always feel for, for people when that happens, because it's not, it's never nice rolling a million ones and twos. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, and that's, Inquisition, once you get ahead of them, it seems like it's a little bit harder because the other thing that I found fighting exaction whenever I'm playing them, whether it's in Inquisition or not, mm-hmm. um, the shield guys just don't do anything. And it's like, sometimes you want that kind of thing, right. but at the other time, to- at the same time, like they don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't. And that's okay when you have a whole other exaction team to run up and shoot into combat. But if you're mm-hmm. only running, what I is have. it, five operatives? So like, and the boards, like that's like, that's a spread out board there. So like his shotgun guy was running around, like trying to get a shot into combat. And even if he did, like, it's not going to kill a full health orc, you know, on, on yeah. average. Right. So that, that's the thing. So I, I think, I think that, um, that I, I might've played that a little differently, although that being said, I don't play Inquisition and, you know, I, I'm sure he, he knew what he was doing when he yeah, chose yeah, that. Yeah. It just, the plan didn't work out the way the game played out. Yeah, I right. think mathematically they're a really good choice, and I still think that exaction is still best in Inquisition. Mm-hmm. But um, ultimately, like it's always better to kill something rather than just tie it up. In my exactly, opinion, yeah. that's how I play kill team. At it, least, I mean, other yeah. people play it different, and which is viable. Especially, <clears throat> especially when you have like on Inquisition only a few operatives who can really like kill stuff. Absolutely, but you know. Uh, losing two operatives or losing two really big moves at the top of turn two. Yeah. Uh, and you were playing into the dark, correct? No, open. Open. Okay. Yeah. Open is, is, is gut wrenching. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, I, I, I felt really bad because that was one of his operatives that needed to land big. And it just, I mean, like six, six ones and two. Like it happens. It's happened to me it too. Does. And, it, yeah, yeah. and it changes games. But, um, you know, dice be dice. <laughs> That's so rough. It is. So, rough. <laughs> so moving on to, Hand of the Archon and yes. Brett. Brett mm-hmm. played really, really well. He was the top rated, um, you know, Hand of the Archon player at the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. He did really good. He did really good last year. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I rarely ever see Hand of the Archon beat a good Commandos player. Yeah, but he he beat one or two other Commandos players, correct? I think he played three Commandos But he matches. didn't beat the best Commandos <laughs> player. <laughs> okay, um, okay. <laughs> so, like, uh, and he did do really well into what a lot of people consider is uh, their counter. Yeah. Uh, like you said, right? Um, yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, he beat Mike Cortez by one point, which seemed like a really close game. And then I, I forget who the other Commando player is, but I remember him talking to me in passing, being like, man, I just can't avoid this. Like, I've just played three commandos, you know? I was like, yeah, but how'd you do? He's like, well, I won two. I was like, that's, dude, that's a, an accomplishment. Like, mm-hmm. they they are, I think... Yeah, if, especially Mike. Mike is really good. Mike is a very good player. Yeah, he, he's another one from from New York, up, mm-hmm. up in uh, Westchester, just a bit outside New York City. But we play with him regularly, and he's a very, very good player. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, Brett, Brett was a really nice guy. Again, I had kind of like heard of him, and I had met Blaine at Worlds, and he had talked about Brett. So it was nice to be able to put a face to the name and play him and sit across the table from like really like such a gentleman. And it was a very like fun, like respectful, like good game. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and he kept it like really close too. like, I think I, I ran away with it 
a bit early on, but by the end of the game, like I was kind of just throwing orcs at points and knowing that I like kind of had it, but lose, I was like rapidly losing bodies. Cause when these guys power up, yeah. I'm like, wait, you can do what now? And what now? Like you could be like a four APL <laughs> model and then dash behind like what? <laughs> yeah. They so, become like Goku and Vegeta's literally. Know? Yeah. So like at the end of the game, I had like, I think I had like two orcs left and he had like a much bigger board presence. So like the very last turn, I think he might've went four, two or four, one on primary in his favor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it wasn't enough. Cause I had sort of, I, I think I had got a four, two, uh, maybe two of the turns or something like that. Um, but no, he played it really well. Um, he made some interesting decisions. He chose not to bring the, um, the blaster, which is like their plasma and Ooh. bring the shredder instead. Uh, okay. He's trying think- to get a, blast off yeah yeah yeah, i'm trying to get a blast off which i was never going to give him but maybe more just to have the more dice and try and get the rending you know yeah so so, to maybe negate just to scratch as much if he has more dice maybe that was his thinking there Mm -hmm. and then he also brought the the other heavy weapon that was not like the meltagun one the dark Uh, lance yeah it was not the dark lance okay not the dark so uh, no, no, no. Well, the shredder. Well, he has. That's the regular gun. Splinter, and then, uh, the splinter cannon. Might have been the splinter cannon. Yeah, I don't, I don't know right. these these elvish this elvish yep. terminology. It's okay. I do. That's why <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're working together. <laughs> but it was it was the two, it was the two choices that most you know I've I've never seen like in our local matches here with like Nestor the Brooklyn strategist like he would always bring you know the plasma effectively the blaster and then the dark lance just for sheer like AP killing power. So that was an interesting choice. Um, and there were a few times where he rolled his five dice and didn't get a single crit, but CP rolled into a crit. So then he got two crits because of rending darkness death or whatever. So then it kind of paid off. So I don't know. That, that was definitely a choice. Uh, maybe he felt that it was an uphill match and he had to kind of try that to, to, to break through. I will say, though, of all the elf teams, I think Hand might have like the best chance just, be- just because of that six up feel no pain. Like that changes the combat math just enough that it doesn't make it a guaranteed kill when you roll in there with three hits, right? Especially if you you roll well. Yeah. If, or if you just roll one, six, if you roll one, six, all of a sudden I need three hits to kill you. You know what I mean? Or a hit and a crit. And I don't really want to pay CP for wah, you know? So, so they're actually like deceptively hard to kill in combat, but even still like if orcs roll average and I also have the shooting and the durability, like I just like exist and I have like a bunch of orcs running around with two health and there's still a problem. So I, I still think it's a very tough match. It's definitely winnable, but in a, in a vacuum where both players are playing at the highest level, I think that it's definitely still, you know, a favored to commandos uh, significantly enough for it to be uphill for, for the dark, dark Eldar. So I know you didn't get to play against blades of Kane, but have you practiced into them at all? Do I have. You that, do you think that they're, they're any kind of good or I, I think I still think that people are going to suck with this team for a really yeah. long time. It's my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think they're a tough team. They seem really, really fun. I've played against uh, Travis once on them and he was just trying them out, I think, for the first time. And I think he tried a mono striking scorpion build just to see how it was. We were just kind of messing around, throwing, you know, stuff, stuff at the wall. Yeah. Uh, it did not go well for him. Um, it did not go well for him. So he, I think he's thinking, or we're thinking now maybe Banshees might be more the way to go against orcs. I mean, if if the scorpions charge you, they get their two mortals and all of a sudden then you're in scary range. But again, you know, 10 wounds, just a scratch, their dice have to be perfect. And they're still elves. Like there's, they still fold, you know, like if you shoot them, like they're, they're mostly going to evaporate and they just don't have the number of bodies. I think they, to me, they kind of run into the void dancer problem, which is another bad, you know, or good matchup for orcs, right? 
-hmm. They just don't have enough bodies and wounds and armor saves to keep them alive for long enough. Uh, and and they want to be in combat with the Banshees and the Scorpions, but they just don't have the staying power, I think. That's fair. Um, but they have mm. a ton of tricks, and, and I think that a good player could probably, you know, get, you know, until people figure them out and what they do, I think good players are going to be able to abuse a lot of their aspect techniques and to some success. But overall, I still think that, that any eight-wound team in Melee that only has like eight to nine operatives is going to struggle into Commandos because that's just, that's just math. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, moving on to your first game of day two, yeah. which was Vivek, who got second place. You ended up mm-hmm. tying this one? Uh, yeah, we did. It was a really, really close game. Um, and VetGuard, never underestimate VetGuard. Not that I did, but just never <laughs> underestimate them. So this was day two. We were on Into the Dark for all uh, our three games in day two. And we, I think it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, your win path to a tournament so many things have to go right. You know, you have to get the right matchups at the right time on the right maps, on the right missions. Your dice have to be good. Your decisions have to be good. Other players in other games have to do certain things. You know what I mean? So this was one of those things where like, if anything had be different in an alternate reality, it would have been a completely different game. I think, um, he played it very, very tight, very well. Um, I think the, the map was probably a bit in his favor it was, I think it was, I want to say it was a traditional GW one, right? So it was a symmetric layout. He won the roll-off, so just got the flat benefit of being the attacker. Uh, mm-hmm. And this map had, you know, two objectives on the center line. So he was able to get the initiative, you know, uh, effectively shush his guardsmen forward, you know, to use mm-hmm. orc terminology. Yep. So that he as had... A, as any or true orc player would. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> And so he had, you know, GA2 guardsmen at both of these doors poised to take both of these middle points and hold me to a 4-2 the first turn. And the only way I could have done anything about that was to basically throw my comms or my knob onto those points with the third APL to take one, you know, after he took the first one, Uh and then just guarantee that that orc would be dead. So I played conservatively, and I was like, I'll let him take the 4-2 this turn in favor of not losing any orcs. And I should be able to get one later in the game, but he just like held and held and held. And I was not able to break through. And this is, you know, talking about dice be dice. I had, I think three subsequent melee activations where I had like my slasher boy or a regular boy or some other orc with a choppa in combat against a regular guardsman, just get like one hit like three times in a row. So I, not only am I not killing guardsmen, but I'm taking more damage than they're taking. Mm-hmm. And it really shifted the side of the tide on this, you know, my left side of the board, his right. And I had to kind of abandon that completely uh, and, and, and push harder up the other side. So the game was like looking like I was going to lose it, to be honest. Um, and I did that play with the grot that I mentioned earlier. And I kind of, saw I waited for him in this one room where he he had like three or four guardsmen on his side in a very safe room and I waited till he had activated all them and saw that only one guardsman could ever be on the point and then I immediately gave the eight pills to the grot and I was like I'm going in here basically um the grot was the hero he ran in and stole that point to get me the four two I needed uh to tie the primary I think that was turn three uh, so we, he went four, two, the first turn, we went three, three, then I went four, two, then we went three, three. So we tied in the primary. Um, and he had done very good in his secondaries as well. And I think the map also benefited that he was taking central control, secure central line and the control to control more attack up. Um, 
So he was able to max all that stuff out. And I have a tendency, and I think some other people do, to sort of like forget about these security tack ops because like they're, they're just like on this specific map, he could safely control the center line from his uh, you know, home room without any interaction from me. And for me to put multiple orcs there was just like so out of my way and such a bad idea that it just like I was not incentivized to do it. And I also just like kind of forgot about it. And same thing with the center line. It was just not beneficial for me to be there. I was outside of cover, off the objectives, just ready to get shot. So he kind of was able to play a secondary game very well. And I was able to like at the last activation of the last turning point, pop a very crucial Robin ransack to tie the game. So uh, it was, it was a nail biter. It was a really, really, really close game. And I did not think I was actually coming out of that game. Like I fought as hard as I could to scrape out a tie there. Um, and again, one of those things where like, you know, some dice rolls and then, you know, the map that you're playing, like really impact the flow of a game, uh, compared to, you know, like if those dice rolls have been average and if the map had been a bit more like I have my three, you have your three, um, not, not complaining at all, but like, it's just interesting to think about like how that game progressed and how it got to where it got, but like an excellent game. Uh, he was very, very fun to play with and like a really good guy and we had a good time um and it was nice to meet him and 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 see more of the canadian scene here in the u.s that's amazing yeah i mean vivek seemed like he was a really stand-up guy having a lot of fun so i'm glad that you two had a good time yeah yeah no definitely we did now for your for your next into the dark match Mm mm-hmm you played against Space Marines. Did you end up playing on an asymmetrical this one, or did you? Uh, yeah, you we did. Enough? We okay. did. I believe we played. We definitely. It was definitely one of yours. Um, if I pulled up the packet, I could tell you exactly which one it was. No worries. Um, but yeah, no, that that was a good one. So that was against. Uh, I believe that was against Dustin. Correct. Um, yeah, Dustin from Warpfire Minis, um, and he was playing Intercession, and. Uh, that, that was, that was, uh, it was a good one. It was nice to meet him. He's a really nice guy. It was a a bit more straightforward. I kind of had my game plan and I stuck to it and I like, I've kind of figured out like what to do against elites and into the dark. And it's, it's really hard for them to do anything about it. Cause all you need to do really is like dangle, not even dangle, but just put like one of your disposable operatives, like a regular orc boy who, I mean, and I use disposable lightly because they're very hard to remove, but you know, it's like, it's like the lowest tier operative you have put them on a point, do the objective, and then just like hide all your big guns behind a door and be like, go kill this guy. I dare you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like I got like a rocket and dynamite. Like, so like I, I had a couple points tied up in eliminate guards and headhunter on his leader. And I kind of like dangled the bait and his leader, one guy came in to try and kill the orc, a regular guy and actually couldn't get it done. Um, I just like rolled well and had just a scratch and, and, uh, the orc was left on one wound. So he'd charge his leader in to finish him off and get route and all the rest of it. Uh, and then I just like opened the door and shot a rocket in and deleted a guy and splashed the other. And then the slasher boy came in with throwing knives and threw charge fought and finished him off. So like at the, at the beginning of turn two, he had like two Marines down to my one orc. Uh, and it was, it was very, it was very, very uphill from there on out. He kind of like, stuck on his objectives and just went on guard and played it safe, which was fine. Cause I, th- I think we, he held it to three, three in the primary every turn until the last when I finally broke through. Um, but I just was able to play around his guards and get my secondaries and, and deny some of his and, and just go forwards from there. 
Um, but I, I think it's really tough for elites. Um, also, he chose to take more bolters than I thought. I, I like to take a lot of assault intercessors and orcs because like, you're not going to shoot them that much into the dark and, until I let you. Um, right. I'd almost rather be in combat and get the, get the kills that way. But, but you know, really, really nice guy. Uh, I think, I think it's just, it's a tough matchup against an experienced orcs player, you know, mm-hmm. but I did really enjoy the asymmetrical maps there. I had practiced a few of them prior to LVO. Um, and I, I think I haven't played all of them, but the ones I have played, I've really, really enjoyed. And it, 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 you know, it adds another element to it. It makes the dice roll off actually a lot more meaningful before the game. And a lot of these maps I found, I actually do want to take defender if possible. Um, but it's always just nice to create a new puzzle that you have to like kind of solve, uh, after the old ones get stale. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, this was our third iteration and obviously our best so far. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Our first two were not particularly good, especially our first one. The first one was like, didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> um, but no, I'm glad. And now what's, what's also interesting is that you're tied to Vivek. Mm-hmm. Uh, your next game, you beat John Reese. And the most interesting thing about pod B was since you beat John in your next match, mm-hmm. um, there was no undefeated coming out of pod B. So yeah. at the end of day two, we actually had just one undefeated. Yeah. So yeah. Tell me about uh, John Reese's match. It was, it was good. It was again, like really, really happy that we finally got to play. Cause we like have kind of hung out and been in the same circles at some of these more recent tournaments. Yeah. New York um, open too, right? Exactly. New York open. We dodged each other. Nova, we dodged each other, but like we've been kind of hanging out and chatting at these events and, and he, he like hangs out with some of the guys like Travis with New York crew. So it's cool to like, to like be able to hang out and, and interact and chat, chat, kill team and talk shop. Um, but again, this is one of those matchups where like, especially on into the dark, like, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it is really, really, really hard for Star Striders to be commandos. Again, all else being equal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that again, was the running joke in your guys' video. How yeah. long can you <laughs> can you dodge commandos? <laughs> yeah, ex- literally, literally, exactly. <laughs> and and that's the thing with the tournaments. You never know. I went to Nova, and there were how many commandos players there? Like like a million. <laughs> a fucking, it was like so many. I didn't play a single <laughs> like one. I didn't play a single one. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is crazy, it, but it, it, you know, it happened. So he, he, you know, eventually ran into commandos and, uh, it did not go well. Um, no, I just, I ran, I'd ran the smoke on the knob and this was, uh, another one of your boards again, really cool to play. So the knob was able to get basically with his nine inch move and, um, open door. He was able to get like to the mid board behind the door, Love just ready, just ready to open it and be like, Hey dude, give me something to kill. Um, and you know, he was able to do that. And I forget if he flipped a point or charged and fought someone, but he, he definitely impacted the game there. Um, and, and basically the way I play that matchup is I just hide in melee, like the assassin's going to kill an orc for sure, but usually will die to the second one. Um, and Vane like will probably kill an orc, but die to the second one, you know? So those are the two operatives. They really have, they can do stuff, including the voids master. But if you just like, since you already out-activate them, all you need to do is charge their already activated models and then just wait. And then they have to activate that model before you have to do anything. Uh, and you just bounce around from model to model, hiding in combat, which they can't do anything about. And that that's why I think it makes this matchup kind of impossible. And doing that, like you can, like I, I, I denied him getting an asset off the entire game because of that amazing so so if you just if you play it super tight you know and just wait 
to activate your dudes until they have a safe place to land and hide. I just don't, I just don't see how star striders win that match. You know, I just don't, I don't see it, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I the, love the, that because they're actually a really difficult match for vet guard. Yes. And it's interesting to see how you play them. So maybe other people who have struggles into this team might be able to take, you know, hide your dudes until it's ready until they can be safe. Yeah, literally. And also like the thing is with orcs too, like, cause if you, if you, with Star Striders, if you throw a dude up early on in the turn order, you know, activate him, finish him around the midboard, and then pass, that's when they get that asset off, right? So what you need to do is you always need to have a dude that's like protecting your midline because their Star Striders threat range for assets is like really far. They can get the extra inch, they can recon dash, you know, and then it's two inches of where that operative lands, assuming you're in cover. So that's like pretty far up the board. But as long as I have an orc ready to charge whoever they throw up there to try and get the asset off the next activation, I'm completely safe. So like the guy, the people you have closer to them need to wait as long as possible to activate uh, so they can respond to that attempt to asset you. Um, you know, obviously this is assuming you out activate this team. If you don't, then it's going to be a bit harder, but orcs, but orcs do just, just by one, just by one, assuming they don't get that asset off. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's, I'm going to take that. I have never fought star striders, luckily. Um, <laughs> usually when I fight a team first time I, I lose, uh, there's not a lot of star strider players out here other than, uh, James Robinson. Uh, and then there's, I think there's a, I think Wyatt plays it too in cool. SoCal, but that's about it. Isn't so it, yeah. Isn't it crazy how like it, like this, like we, there are just certain places where team teams just aren't played like as big as this game is getting. It's really, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also it's really interesting seeing where where metas like develop and change. Yeah. Like Pacific Northwest has a, a completely different meta than the rest of the United States as well, too. You know, 100%. so it's like, it's interesting to see, you know. And then when everyone comes together at LVO, you kind of see. Yeah, it's also in, there's another interesting bit outside of yourself. Any tournament that you've been going to lately, you just win. But uh, t- like KTO was won by a West Coaster, right? Mm-hmm. And then like when you guys have to travel to the to the uh to the, the west coast um you guys win so it's very very fascinating to see yeah. uh the ping pong ball go back yeah, and forth but exactly you've been holding on to all the ping pong balls lately just yeah well that last last season was a pretty cool one yeah <laughs> very <laughs> well deserved i happened to uh, just get into orcs back in like um i don't know april or may of last year when they were mm-hmm. still like fine and then just i just kind of committed to playing them and they got better and better and i really liked them and i was just i'm just gonna like play this team for the whole year and see what i can accomplish and uh yeah it did uh it went pretty well yeah so you end up playing orion next you've played quite a few times mm-hmm. how did that game go because it came down both i think both of you timed out at the end and we on stream yep. in order to see where that model was uh yep. we had to go back and make sure and the the measurements were yeah. well within, so it was a fucking sick ass ending. Tell, tell yeah. us about it. I know that always I just had to give you a little bit more drama on stream. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's never a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that was a great game, and uh, I was feeling pretty good going into it. Um, but again, I, I think I was maybe I overestimated how many shots I could get off on Felgor because if commandos can get shots off on Felgor for the first two turns, I think it's very favorable for them. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really, you know, again, with, with the heavy terrain, it's good for commandos, but it's also really good for Felgor. Yeah. So I wasn't really, he was kind of able to dictate when I got uh, shots off on his guys. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to do anything until he had already activated, charged, killed people. Um, but the way that game went in a nutshell is I put him in a very tough place turn one. I, it was... 
turn one at the end of the turn, um, you know, I kind of took a more favorable side of the board. I won the roll off. I was able to shush and get pretty much like my four points secured. And he was only, and he was, I was able to get two of his. And then the last activation I gave the Grot an APL and swung him around and denied him a point. So at the end of the first turn, it was, it was four one in my favor. Um, and he had a lot of like fighting back to do from there. Mm-hmm. So that kind of made him basically say, all right, well, I got to just charge forward and kill a lot of orcs now, which he actually just did. So he just charged into <laughs> my orcs and I'm like, all right, that guy's dead. Like, <laughs> like charged into the orc, that guy's dead. Like the combats were so decisive that it didn't even make sense to use just a scratch because I would have still died anyway. So like, yeah, he, these guys are, are gnarly in combat. Um, oh, yeah. So he charged in and just did the thing. He's, he, you know, he stunned some dudes with the tox horn, which made it tough for me. Um, and he fought back. And then it was looking like, you know, end of m- beginning of turn three, midway turn three. I was like, I don't know if I have this game anymore. So he was doing very good in his, his tack ops for the most part. I was sort of slowly getting mine. But I think there were there were a few decisive moments uh, where I think the game was was probably won or lost. Um, one, I, I believe it was the top of turn three or the top of turn four. I had one CP left, and I saw an opportunity to throw a stick bomb into three goats that were all within two inches of each other. Ooh. So I was like, do I go for DACA here? Because if this crits and it goes well, that's like three goats that are dead. Or frenzied and like that's the game or do i save it for just a scratch because it's so good and i took a risk you know i was running low on time on the clock i said let's go for docker let's try it. i didn't get a single crit so it didn't matter um so that d- did not go as planned and then his next activation he charged in an orc on a point that i kind of needed to live and because i didn't have just a scratch i lost that orc mm. so it's one of those things where you kind of think back and you know you do the best you can at the time but that that put me you know under the gun uh, you know, at the end of the game. So at the end of the game, I'm just kind of trying to figure out, I don't even know what the score is. I know I'm kind of losing on paper. It doesn't feel great. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to do the math in my head, but like, what can I do every single activation to be as efficient as possible and maximize every point that I can. And so I just played the game by that kind of, um, you know, with that kind of mindset and what it led me to do was basically say, all right, I'm sure, I think he's got Robin Ransack left un, unused. So all my orcs are going to be touching each other. So he literally cannot score it because if he's exactly one inch from my orc and my base is an inch and my guy's touching the base, he won't be able to get Robin Ransack. Um, and I was like, I also need to score one more primary point. And I was trying to figure out how to do that. So let me let me just because this was a crazy game. I'm trying to go back through my head to remember the final sequence of events. I mean, you probably remember better than I do because you were observing mm, it. And the- I do. So yeah. what's interesting yeah. about the the final thing is Orion. He made a move and then he kept saying that he booted the game away. And I talked to him afterwards. Yeah. And he said that he thinks he could have won the game mm-hmm. if he just activated his operatives in a different order. Okay. Um. But you know, coming down to those final seconds on a clock, you make right. mistakes, right? Right. So, uh, in the end, uh, I think Orion charged and tried to get executioner off, or something. He got tried to get, um, Robin, Robin Ransack, mm-hmm. Robin Ransack off. One. Yeah. And you had a model within three inches, so he exactly. couldn't do it. And then your final two activations was to steal a point away by, um, activating 
two models, I think, to charge one of his Felgors. Which both had one APL. So I was like, how do I solve this puzzle with two dudes who were stunned, right? Yeah, yeah, so, sick. So, so the Excellent Doc McCoy, I was like, I was, and I literally was like watching the clock run down. I had like 10 seconds left and I was like, okay, this can't work, this can't work, this can't work. I was like, oh yeah, I got to do this. Like the comms does a mission extra one less. So I was like, Doc Boy charges and passes, comms charges this guy and then loots the point for, you know, one less or, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Or secures it. I think we're playing secure. And mm-hmm. then I was like, all right, boom, like pencils down. And I was like, I don't know what the score is, but that's the best I could have possibly done. <laughs> so, and, and then we then, tallied it up. Yeah. Yeah. And, which was sick. I know, yeah. I guess you thought you were losing. Orion thought he was losing. And yeah. then it just turned out to be a tie, which I is know, super cool. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Like that game too, like going back to the, the, the turn one play I did with the Grot. I, you know, it might've been a little greedy and the games that I've lost with orcs are tied or not that have been like, maybe could have been wins. I often find myself throwing the grot away too early because mm. especially with Felgor and especially with secure and him having to, he was already on the back foot. Even if it was a four, two turn, he has to move forward and attack my models. If the grot stays alive the whole game and just sequentially goes like he, he has to leave, you know, one or two goats on a point to prevent me from stealing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So not only did I mess up my activation advantage by giving him the grot right away, and I threw the bomb squig into a single model to get eliminate guards. So now all of a sudden he's out activating me, which is which is always bad. Um, but the the grot, you know, just for a one point swing, you know, it maybe could have been a two point swing or a three point swing if I had kept him alive and just been safer about taking these points. So I, I not only would have kept the activation advantage, I also would have been able to steal points that he walked off of or prevent his models from being able to walk off them. So. Thinking back, that probably was a little aggressive on my part. But anyway, no, no, no regrets. You know, in a tournament like this, especially at that high level of play on stream under clock pressure against a great opponent, like you're just doing the best you can. And I think we both made small mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing like that was like obvious or glaring. But I mean, I'm I'm just happy it was it was a, it was a really really good game. We both shook hands after, and like it was just those ga- those games are so rare and so hard to come by. So it's just one of those experiences that's that's really you know, always fun to look back on and, and think about like what you could have done differently or how it worked out or, or, or how close of a game it was. Yeah. Now, before we move on to the final two, the two matches, um, this one, I know that you and me talked a little bit before LVO about mm-hmm. clock rules and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, how did these clock rules and how did you feel with these clock rules? Cause I know that you were kind of bummed about some of the stuff that happened before and yeah. it seemed like you, you either practice on them or you did really, you played really well on a clock. I was, you know, a lot of people in the kill team community, I think are really still scared of the clock, but Mm -hmm. maybe it's because of how they're being implemented in different areas. How did you think they were implemented at uh, LVO? And do you think that should be more or less the standard? Is there anything you didn't like about it? You know, I thought, I thought they were implemented well. I liked the somewhat softer approach to it. Um, But like, but like you mentioned the backtrack, just a a minute to give more context to the story the weekend prior to lvo i went down to the utc tournament in the baltimore area and i've played on clocks a few times you know i you know i usually forget to hit my clock and we run out of time and then we both agree like yeah let's just play it out anyway Mm -hmm. but you know more and more clocks have been part of the discussion as the community has grown as we've gotten to a higher level of like competitiveness as a community as a whole as we're having bigger tournaments with more at stake, you know? So I, I get it. I get the argument for it. And, you know, prior to LVO, I had really been kind of anti-clock. 
Um, though I will say there are some games I've played in tournaments where my opponent is clearly taking a lot more time. We run out of time and we're not on the same page and they don't think they took more time and they don't want to talk it out or play it out or whatever. And you end up getting penalized for that. So mm-hmm. more and more I'm coming around to liking the idea of clocks, especially when there are stakes. Um, and I do think that, you know, I don't think we've found the perfect solution yet, but I think we're getting closer. And I, and I do like the idea of the fact that, you know, you guys had a bit of a like, sort of like if it was close to the end of time and the players wanted to play and we had a couple extra minutes, we could play it out. Obviously on stream, we stopped it. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I like the LVO rules. The one thing I did notice was that like, because it wasn't as black and white at the very end, it wasn't like your time ended in like pencils down. It was like you, you could finish your last activation. Mm-hmm. Players were incentivized to spend several minutes on that last activation. Um, which again, I'm not saying is good or bad. It was just something I noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like in the game with Orion. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think uh, more and more I am coming around to them. And I think it does come down to just a lack of familiarity, you know, that w- was kind of what turned me off of them. Um, and also a, a style of play. I am definitely a more analytical player. Uh, I think about things carefully. And if you give me more time, I probably will take that time, you know, to try and play an optimal game. But, um, you know, prior to LVO, I, I didn't have... I had a couple, I'd say, kind of negative experiences on the clock, not because of the players using them, but just because of the the way the game ended due to running out of time. Absolutely. And I got kind of annoyed and, and angry and a bit of, like upset about it. But the way I work is I I, I was like, all right, like I'm you know I'm not gonna quit this game and I'm not gonna end up like having this happen to me again. So I like use that to like kind of fuel my rage mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, my training montage. And uh, I practiced a bunch on the clocks and I just was more cognizant of it and I got more used to it. And um, while I will say overall that I'm not, I'm still not perfect on them. And when you play with a clock, you're definitely a bit more on edge the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do more and more understand and appreciate the need for them when you're really at a high level of competitive play under a time limit, because people are never going to completely see the game in the same way when you're so in your head the whole time. So to be able to point to a clock and be like, no, you actually did take 10 minutes longer. Yeah. Therefore it is, is a good tool to have. Cause then it, it prevents drama and arguments. And he said, she said, and feels bads because you can't get angry at the calculator. It's just a calculator. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. <clears throat> um, you know, we only had like one real like clock penalty, you know, Mm -hmm. two players ran out of time and I had to go and reverse the decision because I gave them extra time, but I didn't know one player ran out of time. One player started like 15 minutes, right? Right. Minutes. So like, um, yeah, there, I, I, what's interesting is that I don't think that there's any real other than that one negative interactions with the clock. And another interesting thing was with our clock rules and each, each game on a clock ended up actually calc- like ending up at like two hours and 10 minutes. So you actually mm-hmm. got a little bit longer to play your games <laughs> right? rather than us running around and telling everyone dice down if right. you actually used a clock. So, and yeah. with our 30 minute breaks in between each round, um, you know, that actually ended up being like perfect, you know, mm-hmm. like there's no reason for us to be clock Nazis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that, uh, it, from a, from an organizer's perspective, um, they went over really well, and we didn't get any complaints. Which I've yeah. heard of complaints from either people 
um, having clocks or not having clocks. Because also the thing is, is that when you when you allow people to clock other people or have have a clock, right? Yeah. If somebody chooses not to play on a clock, yeah, then it's on them. Yeah. Right. So you chose not to. So you know it's not necessarily the the organizer's uh, fault for not allowing them or something. Right. Like if your that. game didn't finish, then you you could have chosen to play on a clock, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I yeah. I do I do like that. I do like the fact that if one player chooses to, the other one has to because you know otherwise there's there is no way to disincentivize or, or point, you know, actual statistics to slow play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so I think it is interesting that I've seen, you know, some other people, like I know Travis around here, at least prior to LVO, he went to LVO and put himself on the clock each game just to see how it felt, you know, and, and how mm-hmm. the rules went. I know prior to LVO, he had more of a, like, if you run out of time, you lose kind of policy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's since changed his mind or thought about that, but yeah, it's, it's very, I mean, I can see arguments for everything and I can see arguments for both, but I'm, while I do now more and more appreciate what the clock offers, I am still the kind of guy who's like, if it's a close game and we have a couple activations left and we can finish this game in five minutes and know who actually won, I would still rather do that. Obviously. Oh yeah. And, and, And so, so like if, if there's any way in the rule set to allow for, you know, say one player ran out of time and the other player is 30 seconds left on their clock. If both players can agree and the TOs can agree to say, hey, can we see this this last turnout to its completion? I kind of like the idea of that still. But, you know, talk to me again in a couple of months after having played on more clocks. And maybe I'll be more of like a no, dude, like you have your you have your hour. I have my hour. And if you don't use it effectively, like GG, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's, it is if, if nothing else, it's it's interesting and kind of exciting it's another puzzle just like kill team, you know, that we mm-hmm. as a community are trying to solve and, you know, buff or nerf or, you know, figure out what the best rule set is for. So absolutely, it, it is cool to have all these different mindsets coming through to hopefully find the, the best solution going forward. Yeah. So moving on to your final two games, uh, and then we'll go on to some stats. Um, you played Kellen Foster, the West coast champ. Mm-hmm. He brought novitiates. Everyone's talking about how good they were, and surprising, not surprisingly, uh, they did really well at the tournament overall. Yeah. The the faction as a whole, yeah. So, um, how was it going into his novitiates? I would believe that uh, orcs slaughter them. Yes, I, uh, I, I think it's I think it's one of those other matchups. I <laughs> that it's just like Star Striders, where it's like Star Striders, Corsairs, novitiates. Um, I think they're just so 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 tough. So tough, mm-hmm. especially on Into the Dark again, where I can just stage and hide and, mm. and be safe and not get shot from Vantage or anything. He played a really, really good game, and I, I was kind of planning to go 4-2 in the first turn, but because of uh, an APL shift and then a couple extra inches of movement, he gave the, uh, I think that one's called the Penitent, right? With the mm-hmm. double-handed. The one that can get you like a 17-inch move. Exactly. Some bullshit. Yeah, yeah, three APL and like move really far and open the door and toss a crack grenade in. Like that's what he had threatened. Mm-hmm. So I had to, I had my knob stage there. I had to actually just retreat my knob and just be like, I'm not going to take this, but I'll take the three three this turn. Um, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a it was a tough one. I think for him in terms of a matchup, this was the map which I'm not sure I love. It's a GW map where there's three kind of distinct lanes, right? And mm-hmm. the only way you change from lane to lane is like through this big center black hole of a room. So mm. once you've picked your lane, like you live there, like you, yeah. you you don't go anywhere else. And if you go into the middle of the room, you just get shot. So I had played this a few times and I kind of knew my strategy. So what I did was I put the grot in the middle, 
just to hold my home objective. And I, th- I think I want to say we were playing loot on this one because the gra- I think the Grat stayed there the whole time. I can't remember. Maybe it was capture. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was secure. I'm not sure. But I had I committed as little as possible to that big room, which is how I tend to play into the dark on these maps where you have this huge room that you just can't like you can't be safe in, you know, from yeah. objective to objective. And then I put all my other orcs kind of half and half. I had, you know, a dynamite thread on each side. I had is an that the APL. same one that we played on uh, back in I, Nova. You know, it might have been, it was a similar mm-hmm. setup, but our, ours might have been slightly different in terms of the doors and the maneuverability, but Fair. I can't remember, but mm-hmm. it felt similar to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, he put most of his operatives in the center and kind of, lost a turn or so of movement, like hiding behind doors or waiting to filter into the main room. And only, I think he only put like two operatives, maybe three operatives in each of the side rooms to my mm. like five on each. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just was like, I'm just going to hit these sides really hard. And then if I win these sides, I can just protect them or then filter into the middle. Mm-hmm. And he, he, you know, wasn't incentivized to jump back to my home objective because it was just a grot there and if he did, I still had dudes, you know, who could run out of that door into the center to counter charge them. Um, but I, I think it was just um, kind of maybe, and I talked to him after the game about this, how I would have maybe played it, but I think he played maybe a few too many operatives in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it's one of those matchups where it's just, it's just hard. The Vitiates are not great in combat uh, and that's where they fold, right? They can manipulate a lot of dice uh, defensively against shooting. Mm-hmm. But once you get into combat and just start hitting them with four or five damage profiles, like, you know, if you get three hits, they're just dead guaranteed. Yeah. Like you can't do anything about it. Yeah. One, one interesting thing about at least how I play into the dark with like horde, horde type teams. Mm-hmm. I like to go to two rooms, you know, mm-hmm. like two of the lanes on the symmetrical boards. Yeah. Because like, instead of just one or right. all three, because right. whenever I go all three with a horde, I lose Yeah. <laughs> every yeah, yeah. time, every time. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's definitely it's interesting. I mean, I think there definitely is an argument to be made into the dark for depending on team, like you know, just as little as possible on one side, just to hold them off long enough and really push hard on on the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to take a bit of a more balanced approach with orcs, but also they are very tough, mm-hmm. uh, and they have you know they have two dynamites, they have two ways to shift APL, you know, they have a bunch of shooting, a bunch of combat, so you can kind of like be balanced about it. Um, and do decently well, but that, that was kind of my plan. I was like, I should win one of these sides and then just hold a four, two for the whole game. And then just kind of get my, get my, uh, tack ops, which are all, you know, eliminate guards, Robin ransack and route for the most part. Yeah. So your last one was against, uh, another vet guard player, Chris Baki. Mm-hmm. And, um, I talked to Jimmy afterwards and it was interesting. I was like, Hey, so you just recently played Chris and you recently played me. Like, do we play similarly or do we play different? He's like, oh, Chris plays way different than you. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't get to watch any of Chris's games. So I'm very excited to go back and watch his game on stream. Yeah. How how uh, how was this game? How did this turn out for you? This game this game was good. It, it turned into, like, again, going into Chris, he's a great player and a really, really great person to play against because, like, he's he's not looking to, like, get any anything up on you he plays a very clean game and i try and play a very clean game as well um but yeah no it, it was it was a pleasure to play him again the only other time i played him prior was actually the last game of lvo last year so nice. we always tend to beat on the last round of, of these big tournaments um but yeah it was i was exhausted at that point uh, mm-hmm. and i was a little bit like i don't you know i i was just assuming orion was going to take it because he seemed on a path to victory and if he took it he would guaranteed win the whole thing um so I just put that out of my mind. I was like, I'm just going to do the best I can here. 
I made a bit of a mistake in my tack up selection to start, which which I don't really ever do. But I, I chose fa- the faction tack up where you have to kill an enemy operative on turn one, and then you reveal it, and then you have to control more objectives than the other team on turn mm. two. Mm-hmm. And I, I had, it was I, difficult I, to score against Vet Guard. Yeah, difficult to score against Vet Guard, and especially on this map, I I forget like if I had taken it and forgotten I had taken it because I'd just been taking the same three tack ups for the most of the tournament, uh-huh. and then I had deployed in such a way uh, that made it very hard for me to kill that first operative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was the map where you have that long kind of center chamber, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that you kind of go down um, that takes you like three turns to get to their objective. You know, that one, the GW yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I also had like been like, I'm going to try something different here. I'm not going to do sneaky get and I'm not going to shush. I'm going to save all my CP for later in the game. Uh, because I could guarantee that I could get one of these objectives and hold a 3-3 on the first turn. So, and then like I go into the first turn and I'm like, did I make a mis- Like, did I make a mistake and choose the wrong tack op? Or did I just forgot I chose it and deploy incorrectly? But I literally just completely prevented myself from scoring a point on that period. So I was already going into turn one being like, oh man, like this, this was a mistake. Like this was a huge mistake and i'm like here we go now i'm not going to score anything on this tack up now i'm going to work there on the primary um and uh we went three three in the first turn um but i was just able to play a really conservative game and not let the spotter enter too much into it use the vet guard bodies again to hide in combat in melee Mm, um and then when i wanted to you know affect a point i would get a second orc in there again in melee and then i'd have more appeal on the point to do the mission action etc etc um and yeah I, i i don't remember if there were any like key plays over the course of the game i was just able to play the positional game very very well uh chris had a very unlucky melta shot where he rolled up uh to shoot an orc and just whiffed and didn't kill it um which then was like all right well now this melta is in combat and gone so that that was unfortunate uh and i was also able to completely avoid the demo the whole game just by like continuously measuring his threat ranges um and i think Chris maybe got a little concerned about one flank. So the demo guy was running over to one side of the board one turn. And then next turn, he was running back to support the other flank. So the demo guy had his hands full, but never ended mm. up managing to get a mine off, I don't think, which was which was a big, big win for me. Absolutely. Uh, and the spotter was only able to flip someone's order once uh, to fire a frag grenade in uh, into two orcs, but it didn't do enough to kill either of them, I don't think. I, I dislike doing the frag movie. Yeah. It doesn't you always hope it's going to do more than it does <laughs> it's juicy it's juicy especially with lethal five but against orcs it's n- i don't think it's ever going to kill him unless you roll yeah. all crits agreed um but you know but he w- wounded a couple orcs um the the biggest the biggest thing in the whole game was he had a lot of uh secondary points tied up in this one area of the board on my right side his left side he had a secure uh, access point mm-hmm. and he had a secure what was it? Um, secure center line? Mm-hmm. Was it? I, I can't remember the, the ones he took. Uh, what are the other ones for, for Vetgar? The secure center protect, line? Is, protect assets. assets hold them oh, back. that's what it was. It was protect assets. He took protect mm-hmm. assets, secure uh, access point, and control to control more. Okay, and, and fast. Okay. I, yeah, exactly. So I had kind of learned the hard way against uh, in my game against Vivek that like I just can't let them score these security tack ops easily 
Uh, so I tried really hard this game, and I was very aware of how many orcs were on points, who was dying, when to use just a scratch. And I was able to, I don't even know how, but I was able to deny him all of his secondaries the whole game. Wow. So nice. I, I hit, I, I saved my orcs, saved, put them really far back, played really conservative, saved all my CP. So every turn I had retain a save on, every turn I had DACA on, every turn I had just a scratch on because I hadn't spent anything pregame. Uh, and I was able to just have enough bodies to deny him that access point. I was able to keep enough orcs alive and in combat that he only killed one on an objective at any t- given turn or the ones I, you know, when I detonated my bomb squeak, I made sure he was off the objective, you know? Um, and then I was also able to just hold three, I think for the whole game to deny him his uh, control to control more. Amazing. So it was just, it was really, it was really tight. And uh, I just played incredibly cagey and incredibly slow and deliberate. And I think that was probably the difference in that game, but, but again, really, really good game. And like we said at the beginning of this interview, I think uh, any, Chris could have won the whole tournament had he'd won that game and the other result stood. So another thing that's interesting um, is when we look at the top eight, it's very, very much um, melee centric, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had Vetguard and we have Kasserkin in the top eight. Mm-hmm. But to me, the top eight is very, it's a weird metric to go by, right? So when you look at... Um, when you look at Nova, if we look at the top eight from Nova mm-hmm. for this, this event was literally twice as big as Nova. Right. So like we would have to look at the top 16 if we were to look at practically in any other event, the percentage wise. So I think it's better to look at maybe like the top 10% of a, of a, of an event when it gets so high. I, I right? think that's fair. Cause also like, for example, like I, I forget, mm-hmm. I don't know where Chris finished, but he was like in it to win it the whole thing. He was, he and, was. But then, then because of a you know one game or a series of events in one game, he finishes out of the top eight and then doesn't get talked about. So I, again, like great player, he killed it the whole tournament. But mm-hmm. like the, the like you said, I think you're right. The final results of a tournament, the top eight is kind of seems like an arbitrary metric sometimes. Yeah. So he actually ended up losing. To, he he dropped to ninth because mm-hmm. he tied Jeremy in victory points but completed oh, less secondaries. Gotcha. But that's specifically because he scored very poorly against um, Orion in the Felgore matchup and, and then yourself. Game, yeah. But he did well in literally every other thing. Right, in every other game, yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty fascinating to see that in a pure Swiss environment, yeah. every game does matter. And yes. when you are playing in, in such a large tournament, um, a single loss can drop you quite a quite a far ways rather than like if you're playing in a normal 16 person tournament you right. lose one you might drop one or two spots right. it's just like everything is a little amplified exactly but if we look at the top 12 players at LVO uh, we have four shooty lists and four and uh yeah no six shooty armies and six melee armies so nice. yeah overall the top like 10 ish percent um, we have a very equal, equal meta and equal uh, top of the field. Um, there was pretty much just Vetguard and uh, Commandos and Felgor were the only armies that really uh, showed up twice in the top 12, right? Okay. Which is six six of the top 12 lists, right? Which is also an arbitrary number, but we're going with the top 10% because, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, Felgor Ravagers, uh, you know, Placed third and fourth. Vetguard was second and ninth. 
commandos was uh, yourself at one and Mike Cortez at five. Nice. So very, very fascinating. So yeah, that was fun. <laughs> you had an amazing run. Um, amazing for, for the community. I've never heard anything negative about you or your play again, bro. Like your, your, your hobby is sick. Again, I'm giving you so many double compliments because uh, you just, you literally deserve it, dude. Like there's probably no one better that could have won and taken Ace's crown away that, uh, I would be more happy to, to, (laughs) to talk, to talk to on this podcast for. So thank you, man. I I genuinely, genuinely from the bottom of my heart, I genuinely appreciate it. It's, it's, uh, it was a lot of travel and a lot of competition, a lot of mental strain, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. Glad we got it done for the good old US of A. Um, but yeah, no, just uh, uh, the the usual shout outs to, you know, to my gaming club locally, the Brooklyn Strategist. Um, I'm officially now a member of the Brooklyn Rats. So shout out to those guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to hanging out with the squad and organizing some more events for the community and NYO next year and all that. Um, and of course, as always, a big shout out to my to my friends and family and uh, wife and everything, you know, they, they support me a ton while I'm on the road, uh, you know, digitally while I'm there, even though they have no idea what's going on in the game. <laughs> they sent, they send all their love and support and it, and it always means a lot. Um, so yeah, just, I, I just want to thank everybody that kind of has played with me or against me or supported me throughout this journey. It's honestly incredibly surreal to, to, to be here you know, with, with, the the stats that we've seen this year with the tournament wins and, 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 uh, yeah, just with the success, it's, it's been absolutely unreal. Absolutely. And now, now it's your goal to go to back to the world championships and defeat Australia for America. Now they did it. <laughs> they stopped Spain, right? That's, now we have to true. stop Spain again and, and Australia. Have, now that's we have a, to stop Australia too. We have to, we have to, start fights with everyone. <laughs> as, I mean, that's what as we do Americans. best as Americans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, gee, is there anything you want to shout out brother? Yeah, of course you can find me on Instagram at wargaming underscore studios. Again, that's wargaming underscore studios. I am adding the last few models to the casterkin. That way I can get to avoiding, uh, painting my hearthkin, you know, faster. That way. <laughs> uh, you can join the conversation with us on discord. We have the discord link in the show notes. And uh, last, I want to shout out our patrons on Patreon. Thank you guys so much for what you do. And we will be having a new redacted episode for you very soon. Mm -hmm. So that should be exciting. Uh, I'd like to shout out also um, our patrons. And also, uh, you guys are going to get another episode here with Adrian, myself, and Giacomo uh, talking about all of LVO stats and uh, a highlight of our narrative event at LVO. So uh, don't be afraid to, uh, you know, on your next morning commute to check that one out. So until next time, everyone. The Squad Games Podcast is a production of Squad Games Entertainment. For more information on Squad Games, please visit our website at lustersworkshop.com slash squad games.